Thank you to our show sponsors, The Machinery Update, Corteva Enlist E3, and Adama Canada. While other sources of innovation run dry and fail to understand your needs, Adama is here to deliver. And we're all in on you. Talk to your Adama sales rep today. Hello, all. Welcome to The Agronomist. I am your host, Lindsay Smith, and absolutely thrilled to be here tonight, uh, here on this first Monday of October, having a bit of a heat wave here in the Ottawa Valley, and it looks like there's some other areas that are too. Kind of hard to believe uh, it was patio weather yesterday uh, on Sunday, so uh, kind of cool, Uh kind of strange, but we'll take it. The leaves are changing and the weather is beautiful. Um, and I know there's more than a few out there in Ontario who are very glad for this uh, beautiful weather for harvest. Um, and we are seeing if uh, it's sort of like insult to injury, some of those very dry areas getting some fall rain, uh, which is great in some ways, but not so great when you're trying to get what little harvest there is off the field. So uh, let us know in the comments as you hop on here tonight uh, where you're joining us from and what things are like where you are. Hello to Ray, of course. Uh, at Sync, thanks for Agronomic Mondays. That's right, Ray. And it makes me think you probably need to be back on the show. It's been a while. Okay. Uh, just quickly, as we get going here, a reminder that uh, by checking out Real Ag... <laughs> The agronomist head to realagriculture.com slash agronomist to get those CEU credits. So for joining us on the program tonight, uh, you can qualify for those if that's something you collect. So there you go. Uh, Kara is joining us here on the Real Agriculture feed saying anything above five degrees is patio weather. I disagree. Um, anyway, so there you go. We can fight that one out in Saskatoon in a couple of weeks when we're together. Okay, tonight's topic, a uh, really cool one and one that we've certainly had a lot of questions about uh, leading up to this. And tonight, that's right, we are going to drone on. We're going to talk about using UAVs, using drones to apply uh, crop, seed, fertilizer, and perhaps where we head in the future with this. So let's bring in tonight's guests, some fantastic experts here to join me tonight. Uh, we've got Felix Weber with Ag Business and Crop Inc. And Ruben Stone at, uh, at Cobden with Valley Bio. Uh, Felix, welcome here. Oh, you're muted, Felix. Remember? Thank you very there much. There we go. <laughs> there you go. Thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, no worries. And Ruben, hello and welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Lindsay. All right, so uh, so really cool. I think this is probably the first time we've tackled this topic on the Ergonomist here. Uh, so, and and the two of you are both. I think it's your first time both on the show. So, uh, pretty exciting. And uh, thank you for taking a chance uh, on on us. Uh, live is a lot of fun, as you're about to find out. Okay, so to get started, and I do encourage everybody in the comments if you've got those questions, get them in early. Uh, we've got lots to cover tonight. Uh, but to get going, Felix, tell me a bit about uh, your business, what it is uh, you do in agriculture, um, what kind of keeps you busy in a day? Well, background is farming. I grew up as a farmer and got into consult through consulting into the drones in 2011. And their interest for me at the beginning was to basically map the fields and, and make it easier on me for walking. Obviously, that didn't take totally on in agriculture because we got so much data, pretty well an overflow of data. Uh, but uh, but other industry have taken on. But now, as we go into the application drones, that has changed, and the agriculture is very interested in that. Good to see. So what we do in agribusiness and crop is we sell a specific, uh, more specialized products like the automated uh, soil sampler for the Wintech soil sampler and 
the drones, the application drones or mapping drones. And whatever we sell, we service. So we have a service station here. If you got uh, if you got any issues, need help, we're trying to be here as quickly as possible. Felix, I'll be honest. Uh, when I was thinking about this show, I hadn't even thought about like servicing these things. So here we go. We're we're gonna put it all together, which is maybe where Ruben, where you come in. Uh, so Ruben, what is Valley Bio? Tell me a bit about uh, your business up there uh, with you and Keenan. Sure. So yeah, not too far west down the highway from Lindsay and. Uh, Started Valley Bio quite a few years ago now, about 10 years ago, and got into pedigree seed business. And uh, so our farm production is targeted at, at pedigree seed, soybean cereals, uh, industrial hemp, some other specialties. And that we've built the most of the business around seed, uh, do quite a bit of cover crop seed export into the States, started picking up quite a lot of cover crop techniques from our customers further south, um, the interest level in that. And that the, the cover crop business is being a big part of our growth curve. And um, that's a lot of interest, a lot of new space there to, to make sales, to explore new techniques, technologies. And... Uh, and that's led the way for our business. Um, started looking at the drones a few years ago. I grew up flying model airplanes. I actually figured I was headed into an aviation career path, not necessarily agriculture growing up as a kid. Grew up on a beef operation, but had no love for, uh, for beef animals. Uh, so the irony now is we're starting to look for animals again but uh but this is a nice a nice merging of those uh interests from uh, from my youth back into uh aviation space so it's it's great that the technology's got to this level because we started out using uh you know instant cameras on aircraft snapping right. pictures as kids so things have come a very long way in a very short time and yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting what, what these things can do now. So we got into the drone for the seed business, um, basically justified it to, uh, to the business arrangement, uh, because it can spread seeds. So that was right. the big step. Yeah. But also that you could fly it and it would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> hey, these are, this is our job. We're allowed to enjoy it. It's okay. It's a perfectly yeah. logical part of our job. But now, so Felix, it does, you mentioned imaging. And so I do sort of want to back up just a little bit. Um, of course, when UAVs or, or drones sort of came into, uh, you know, the price came down, the usability went up. That's really what, and I mean, they're still used for that for sure. But that was really the first use for these in agriculture was for imaging. Um, and as you mentioned, so do you still, you said, you know, maybe too much data from some of these things. Do you see there still being a place for drones in that imaging space? Or do you see that it, us rapidly moving past that? No, I think more so, if anything, because now with the application drones, you, you can move more use out of this data. And I've seen that with, uh, with, say with GPS or with guidance system, the GPS was really starting to be used when the guidance system came in. So it was a direct use of the GPS at that point. Before, like the GPS 
when you look at the GPS, it's been been on the market for quite some time in the commercial industry. But as soon as you were able to use it in it directly and get a, a quick return on it, that's when it was used. And I think it's going to be the same a little bit with the drones now with mapping drones. So with their application drones, you can use that right away. Like you're doing something with it, you're applying something, you have a return right away. Where with the map or with the, with the imaging, it it is, the question is, is it the return? You're going out and flying to capture something to figure out what's there. That could be, you know, that you already know what's there. You may just measure on size. Where is it? How big is it, right? And in some cases, you go out and say, like I had winter wheat fields that I would uh, fly uh, in spring before the first nitrogen application where you say, well, wouldn't I have to go out for that? We know we leave it. You know, there isn't a whole lot we're going to do, especially because our applicators are so wide that you can't apply mm. uh, individual areas to the extent of what you want to. Now their application drones got that opportunity to do it. And that could be, as, you know, applying, put some, 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 uh, nutrients to the crop, helping the crop, and further down, what we're obviously hoping to apply uh, fungicide, herbicides, etc., onto it. We're gonna. I know we're gonna talk about that a little bit later, but it's it's more because your your width is. We're looking more at a thirty foot width rather than a ninety foot width. It, it becomes easier to do, and it's GPS guided, so it's not like, you know, you you guess where it's going to go. It's, it's already, it's all set up. Mm -hmm. So, all right, let's, let's dig in a little bit. Ruben will touch base on now. When did you buy your application drone? Because of course, as we've, I mean, there's different ones. Um, and you have that has decent capacity. Um, I, I've I've seen it. It is a lot bigger than I thought it would be. Um, but also, they need to have some capacity or else they're not going to be useful. Uh, but it's a bit terrifying. Uh, so, Ruben, tell us a bit about the drone that you did choose um, and uh, and some of the specs on that, just so we can sort of put it in our brains of what we're talking about here. Yeah, so I've got a DJI T40. Um, it's probably the, the most broadly marketed uh, ag drone right now that you're most likely to have seen. Um, it's a new release that DJI came with uh, just uh, last November, December last year. So the demos that we actually saw in the years previous were T10s, T30s, older, smaller models that were really more or less industrial camera drones that had tanks kind of added on the side. Whereas the T40, I think they really addressed the direct needs of agriculture and, and really built an ag drone from start to finish. Um, you can see from the manufacturing and the, the, the usability, they, they addressed a lot of agricultural specific things with that, that equipment. So um, that kind of let me dive into uh that as interest. If they hadn't have come out with the T40, I don't think I would have, I wouldn't have purchased uh, a, an, an older drone. I don't think they were, they were, I don't think they were quite ready. Um, mm -hmm. So it, there are some competitors in the marketplace too. There's, there's at least two other uh, manufacturers that I know of. Uh, DJI does seem to have 
quite a, a jump on things. Um, but uh, they they market the T40 as 50 kilogram, 40 liter payload, uh, all up gross weight. It's 205 pounds, uh, not quite 12 feet across, corner to corner. It's swinging eight propellers that are 52 inches, I believe, at around 3,000 RPM. So it's a uh, it's quite the rig uh, buzzing around. It has a very unique sound to it. It's not a little drone, but it's no. also not a helicopter. So it, it's right. when it's uh, flying and when you haven't when you can't see it yet. There's uh, the neighbors have had some interesting uh, comments <laughs> make on what the heck is that thing? So. <laughs> Yeah. 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 These are important but, things to note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, and <laughs> it's very intimidating. If it's coming straight at you, it's kind of right out of the matrix. It's, uh, right. yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty creepy looking bug when it's coming right at you at eye level. Right. So yeah. they could and tone it's... that down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> they could put like a smiley on it. Yeah. Like, I don't know, something, make it a little more approachable. Um, so Ruben, that's, I mean, that's the model you chose and, and excellent point about sort of where we're at. This is, I mean, the drone technology isn't new, but certainly evolving into an application tool versus, you know, an image capture. Uh, Felix, you're, yeah. you're working, your company works obviously with other units as well, and you do offer that servicing. So what are the most common sort of service things that you would be running into, uh, with either new or older drones? Well, drones for North America, like the, the application drones for North, uh, are, are basically new for North America in general a little bit. And DJI does have the biggest North, North American uh, market. Uh, we work with a couple of drones. The, the XAG is more the Euro Europe, Asia is the biggest market for them. So it, it really depends where you go, which market is known, right? So, uh, I mean, XAG is around since 2007. And when you look back how much, how much knowledge they brought from that time to today, I would, I would agree. Like there, there, there has, you know, there has been, the technology has really improved. Right. Uh, between the two units, there is, you know, I think between all the units, there is advantages and disadvantages. Whichever unit you go, it, it at the end of the day, when you buy, you want to make sure that you're informed to what you buy and what your needs are, because every, you know, every it's like it's like you you can buy a John Deere, or you can buy a case. Uh, you know, it, it's not just one company out there that, that sells them because different farmers want have different needs. But but what we mostly uh, work with or what, what our biggest, first of all, is the training. You know, mm -hmm. getting started, it's a new product. Get, getting started, it's the training. It's, it's a new tool. If you use it the first time, Get into it slowly and don't rush into it. Don't think, yeah, I got to do, you know, a big field right away. Maybe start start small. Uh, and it will take a little while because, because you got to get the licenses and so on to get into it. And what I find is probably preparing for that operation is, is the biggest thing that people have to, anybody that uses a drone has to work on. Uh, you know, 
lay out your boundary map uh, on the drone. And if, you, if you're not doing that right and you hit a branch, that obviously has its, you know. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. So let's, let's put this in perspective though. So, so Kara, my colleague Kara is asking about licensing because this is an important point and I want to touch on this. Um, we, Real Agriculture has a few drones to use for videography, for photography work. Um, and so we've just recently sort of gone through that process of getting, getting everybody up to speed and making sure we have, you know, the appropriate licensing and that sort of stuff. Um, but it also, like those drones like fit in a backpack. And if they hit a branch, they like, oh, no big deal. Ruben, if the drone that you had hit a branch, I feel like a tree could come down. Um, and so that's a bit terrifying. Um, but also, let's, let's back up a little bit and ask, is there different licensing for an application drone versus just a drone for imaging, or is it the same? Well, there, there's a couple of different uh, a, a different legal or uh, uh, like laws that you have to follow. The one is right. yes, Transport Canada is the, regist uh, the registration and the licensing of being a pilot, and that is dependent on the size. It's not for what you're using it at this point. It's it's really the size. size. So anything under 250 grams is you don't need a license as soon as you get hit 250 grams and up and there's really only one on the market that is under the 250 grams that is very much known and it's it's dji the dji mini and then as soon as you go uh, over 250 grams the next mark is 25 kilos and if you're within that the uh, 250 uh, 255 grams to 25 kilos you're you're fairly good to fly in, especially in uncontrolled airspace. As soon as you go in controlled airspace or go closer to an airport, airport, it's a little bit of a different story because you're 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 now closer to the manned air, manned traffic air traffic. Uh, if you go over 25 kilos, then you have to get uh, a special flight operating certificate, and that's going to be the next level. So that's that's the one regulation that you got to be aware of. The other one is. That uh, from what you're actually loading onto that drone and what you're doing with that drone, so mm -hmm. pesticide uh, license that you have to do. But at this point, there is no uh, right. pesticide. While there are two pesticides that are registered, but really not used in agriculture. So a pesticide, fungicide, like the side family, right? So what uh, today? What you're probably going to be using is is what uh, ruin does apply green covers and, and underseed crops. That's probably the most used that, that uh, farmers buy the drone for. But again, it can be used for uh, helping the crop along with some some fertilizer, fertility, mm -hmm. etc. or biological uh, products are, are free on the market as well. Right. But as soon as you go over 25 kilo, that's just kind of the mark. That's that it the, okay. So Ruben, what was that process like for you? And did it bring flashbacks to wanting to get a pilot's license? Oh no! The uh, <laughs> I was I was uh, much more uh, I wasn't quite so jaded, I guess, on regulatory burdens when I was younger, and right. uh, I guess I had more time for dealing with those things. But uh, get older, it's it's you kind of lose your <laughs> your patience, uh, patience yeah. for such things. Um, so it, it is 
it's quite a lift to so the the basic and advanced license certificates are not that big a deal especially coming with some aviation background anybody that's that's got pilot certificates whatever whatever the, a drone license is no big deal at all um but the sfoc piece uh to to go with an egg drone it is a fairly big lift now you can there are consultants there is some precedent not now when i was starting into it i kind of darn near was one of the first ones in canada with a t40 so yeah what there wasn't a lot to, to lean on um with that and i do get the feeling that kind of everybody involved whether it be manufacturers transport canada uh new businesses everyone is feeling their way through this at the same time for these use cases um there is some more experience in in other industries surveying um uh photography and that and that kind of thing they they've got more of that system down but agriculture trends it feels like it's really feeling things out yet on how that's going to go um there's to to operate on a on a daily basis with it is is hard because okay. um, there's a lot of emphasis on on them knowing um where and when some of these right. flights are going to happen and that's not helpful in agriculture so um that's changing um there is a regulatory review open uh well at a certain stage right now i guess they're not an open comment period right now that that finished off the end of september um but they are doing a, a policy review and a regulatory update for next year and then uh, implementation in 2025 um okay. and so there are some things moving um that could make it a little more easier or or uh, amenable to agriculture i think um yeah it's it's to to work your way through on how you're going to operate safely and satisfy all the, the transport Canada requirements because it's a big drone is it's a, it's a daunting one. thing yeah mm -hmm. the the bleeding edge if you were all right uh, we are very quickly um going to just do a throw to one of our show sponsors for tonight uh and then come back to this conversation uh in just a moment Our sponsors for The Agronomists are Adama Canada, The Machinery Update, and Enlist E3 from Corteva. Looking for high yields and clean fields? Choose Enlist E3 Soybeans. Part of the Enlist Weed Control System, Enlist E3 Soybeans help you control tough weeds, providing herbicide choice and tank mix flexibility. Enlist E3 Soybeans, the best in beans, period. So my backdrop just tried to attack me. Um, revenge of the, I don't know, things. Anyway, um, all right. Hey, Warren's here. Hey, Warren. And finally wrapped up with Zuki beans. So uh, that's exciting. And uh, finishing wheat drilling tomorrow. I feel like it's on the calendar late. Look at it. It's trying to kill me. Um, I feel like on the calendar it's late, but for conditions it's not late. I hope this is, yeah, it's going to stay now. Um, so, well, but don't worry, I'm not going to ask you guys about it. But as promised, we are going to talk uh, about um, actual 
applications with these drones. We do have some great photos, so I do want to dig into that. Uh, Producer Jay, if you will, Ruben has shared some really great photos. So uh, just catch us up, Ruben. This is your first full season with this drone because you just got it, right? So this is this, is this right. year? <clears throat> yeah, so we only got it in, in uh, March, Ottawa Farm Show time. Uh, only seriously got flying this summer, uh, later this summer. And, uh, yeah, so we've used it almost, almost exclusively for seed, just a little bit of fertilizer, um, and, uh, and then cover crop into wheat. So this is, this is a twin row, uh, wheat crop and we were, uh, just in front of the combine in this scenario. So we were throwing seed down on the ground and the combine was harvesting and throwing straw on top of it. And uh, this is only a 38 pound an acre rate of oats and peas, buckwheat, radish, and sunflower, I believe. So pretty low rate. Um, that was more the, uh, the request of the producer rather than it's not a drone capability thing. Um, what we found is is these lower rates are actually sometimes more challenging than a higher 100 pound an acre rate. Um, somewhat counterintuitive, but the the longer flight times of doing a low rate can can make the flights somewhat more challenging in that year with your your power management um, because it's carrying more load longer. Um, 100 pounds an acre is actually fairly efficient um, that you can you can dump a tank quite quickly and, and be back for more. So um, diverse mixture on this. There's there's another picture here that I took today of this same mixture. So this was done uh, July 28th or so. And uh, a couple months later, this is what we've got here now with uh, peas and oats and radishes um, that are uh, that are pushing pretty good. So he's he's getting ready to strip till this uh ahead of corn for next year um he has been talking about having some animals come in and graze on this acreage here too so it's uh that's a nice a nice mix to go there um there was no chemical done on that um there, and no uh fertilizer applied to it at all it's just just cover crop seed on the, just on uh one one question ruben on the last slide that was twin row wheat you said right and the drone went yeah. just ahead of the combine Warren, yeah, if you missed right. that part. Yeah. yeah. So now this, and so when did, when did this go on? Like what, what field prep at all was there? None. So this is uh, flying, literally the combine was in the field the same time the drone was. Um, mm -hmm. So it was just going on minutes before being harvested. Um, okay. It was a pretty large field. And uh, so uh, it took them a couple of days to harvest, but uh we uh, we covered it ahead of them. We worked this field actually till two in the morning um, while they were they had obviously quit combining uh, overnight, but we got it all done. And then um, so this yeah. is this so two things on that, Ruben. So and Ray has asked um, great accuracy on this as far as distribution that sort of stuff. So what is the what is the height of the drone to the drop? So where how far off the ground do these drones fly? Um we've seen close to a 40 foot wide 
total pattern. We're flying somewhere 25, 30 feet swath to swath. Um, the software will actually divide up a field exactly number of swaths. It, it, you don't get a half swath at the yeah. end. It'll it'll divide uh, your your field evenly. Um, and then uh, 20 to 25 feet above the ground with the with the spreader tank. Um, kind of erring more on the higher side of what's needed just because it's easier to see the drone. That's the biggest right. reason why we're flying 25 feet higher or more. You know, seed's going to mm -hmm. come down no matter what. Um, yeah. Plus it's done, oats, really? We, I don't know. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, we've done oats, grown oats grass. So it still yeah. came down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gravity yeah. is one of those constants, right? Um, just quickly, yeah. there's there's a – and as I, as I anticipated – pictures would bring a lot of questions in. Uh, so Warren has a great question here. Farmer Snack asks, is there an issue with blends settling out while flying um, to the application place? And so you did mention, Ruben, that difference with, you know, lighter seating rates, longer fly times. Um, have you noticed any as far as the distribution on the settling out? No, no, they're, they're like, we blend seeds professionally as well. So all the seed is getting, uh, very uniformly blended at the plant first before we bring it out to the field. Um, so we're bringing it out in, in one ton totes, um, and we're, we're only okay. hand feeding the drone right now. So it's, it's a 50 kilo fill. Um, mm -hmm. and that's getting dumped in two, three minutes out of the tank. Um, maybe as, as low as a minute to, to dump that. Uh, the tank is very good. Uh, the, the bottom of the seed tank has a three way shutter that the shutter is about uh not quite six inches diameter i guess and uh it automatically open and closes and um the only thing that we've had trouble with is the brown grass uh somewhat not surprisingly there um so we actually we cut that uh with about 30 pounds an acre of oats um so it's kind of like a 50 50 mix at that point of of some really heavy good quality oats and uh, the grass seed and that that fixed yeah. the the flowability problems with that um yep. and that was treated it was treated grass seed as well too which is even worse for flowability so it was that's i think the worst case scenario you'd ever get into there um uh so we'll see what that comes up looking like in the spring but um the the we've done everything from soybeans through it down to white clover so really? it, like okay. everything goes through um really really high accuracy with the small seeds so you do change the shutter into a smaller orifice plate um but uh i've got no doubt it could do on one or two pounds an acre of a red clover and mm. you know be quite quite even across the whole uh acreage so being quite impressed with with uh yeah with the distribution of it yeah. Now, Felix, we have a question here about battery life. Um, and, and so you're looking at a couple different models when, through your company. Um, I mean, battery life is always going to be a question. I'm going to guess we get our it depends um, as far as this one goes. But what does, what does battery life sort of determined by? Well, first of all, as, as Ruben said, you know, if, if you fly with a full load, you're gonna wear out the battery faster. So with seed, the higher the rate is, you're gonna be empty emptied sooner. So 
depending on which model you go, the, the second model that I'm talking about, you might not even change the battery uh, between different loads because you can do a couple of loads with, with one set of batteries. So to me, that's always kind of a, a, it's a question that is asked all the time, but the way I usually answer is, it's not really what the battery life is. Both of those drones that we're selling are more designed for what the weight it can carry. Right. So you're generally not running out uh, on the battery, you're running out of product in the tank. It depends a little bit how far you fly away first with a full load, and that's why I'm saying the load has a has a big impact. And that's where, you know, when you choose a drone, you know you have to fly a long a long stretch before you get to the field. Then maybe that is a, a factor of where you look at a different drone that may be able to fly a little bit longer. Uh, but, but, uh, and then the other thing too is when I compare the two drones that we sell, the one flies double the speed than the other. So, yeah, you have maybe have only eight minutes flight time, eight, ten minutes flight time, but you're flying double the speed where, you know, the other one flies 15 minutes, but it needs that 15 minutes to empty the tank. Empty the yeah. tank. Yeah, it's it's a lot like asking how big's your your fuel tank on the tractor. Like that's right. right. Yeah. It depends. Who, who cares? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you got to swap it, them out it, when it's time to swap out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the the biggest factor is the the route connection between your loading point and where you start applying. That is by far the biggest factor involved because to to hover two hundred pounds, uh, that that's a that's a lot of work. Um, you're actually you're you're better off applying one long stretch and being empty at the other end of the field and then right. putting it back home completely empty um that's a more efficient uh operating mode than flying all the way out and flying all the way back applying product that's actually far less efficient so if you can it, that's most guys wouldn't say that at all you want to be just empty at the tank when you get back home, but with a drone, no, you want to, if you can come back empty, that's, that's fine. Um, so it's a, it's a different setup altogether. The biggest thing is your ground game of setting, like arriving, setting up, um, reloading time for us. We can, we can reload and be back in the air in under a minute, um, flight to flight with the seed. Um, and that's not too hard, but to keep that going, all day long that's a lot. a lot harder so I'm just envisioning a pit crew like with the and yeah. the whole bit and i but you're doing yeah. it every couple minutes so yeah so we're yeah. at, at a mm -hmm. high rate uh, of of flights you're you could be five minutes so a minute on the ground and the takeoff every five minutes yeah yeah that's intense. Uh, are there different rules? So Paul asks, are there different rules for spreading after dark ribbon? You, meant, you mentioned the one field you were finishing it late. Uh, are, do the rules change after sunset? Somewhat ironically, no. Um, it's more about visual line of sight than it is about daylight. Um, and, uh, and then your, your separation distance from bystanders and from other aircraft and airspace and that kind of thing. Um, day, night, if, if you can see and you can fly safely, it, it doesn't really matter. As far as the drone knows, it, it barely knows the difference between day and night. Like these things have radars on them right. um, yeah. and they're they're doing a collision avoidance with the radar. So um, yeah, it's it, 
it can operate to. They have pretty, that's one of the surprising things on them. They have pretty wicked lights on, uh, on the DJI drones. I'm not sure about the other ones, but the, the, the yeah. those LED lights, they're, they're, they're really bright. Yeah. Okay. But they do not, they do not see like we see. They see using radar. No, they anyway. don't. They, right. The, the, so. Yeah, mine does have binocular vision on it, and that is important for collision avoidance. You wouldn't want to be doing a, a headland boundary route um, okay. in the dark. That's not something you want to do. But if you're just running swaths up and down a 100-acre field, that's that's no issue at all. Okay. Uh, we have a few more pictures that I want to get to uh, before we are going to watch a quick clip. Um, and, and we will spend the last part of the show here talking about sort of the, the herbicide, the pesticide question, because I know that's still a big one as well. Uh, but Producer Jay, I think we've got a couple last photos to look at here that Ruben sent uh, just to take a look at some of the results from this year. And I think there's, uh, I think one of your children might make, a, make an, an appearance. appearance. Yeah, okay. So. Yeah. So yeah, what are we looking at here? Uh, this is buckwheat over over winter wheat. So it's volunteer winter wheat and the buckwheat started into it. So this was done uh, for, we did two reps. We did a four weeks ahead, well, an estimated four weeks ahead of wheat harvest. The, the wheat was a little bit later coming off than planned. Uh, so it was almost five weeks and then uh, about two, two and a half weeks before wheat harvest. Um, at this point, you can't really tell the difference between the two. But uh, at wheat harvest time, yeah, the stuff that was four weeks was probably too early. The buckwheat had really yep. done really well in that. Now, this is this twin row setup. Um, we did also do some winter wheat that was a solid seeded stand, and, and the buckwheat stayed down lower in that. Um, and that field actually looks better now. Um, Interesting. Uh, it, the Yeah, so the, the poor-looking buckwheat earlier on actually turned into the better-looking buckwheat crop. Uh, later so hmm. so we'll see how that goes but it's that was this morning that picture it's it's still filling buckwheat seed but there'll there'll be a harvest there um, it's not huge but it's gravy money but this is some of the scenario that I'm more keen on the drone for because um, th there's a lot of double crop gravy money here on these acres that that's available to us now with with this kind of technology I think so um, layering on seed and, and relay cropping starting starting these cover crops before wheat harvest um, or before soybean harvest this is this is pretty interesting territory that that you would you would never consider trapping through a wheat crop just to throw some buckwheat right. seed on the ground yeah. yeah and and I do want to point out Ruben you're, you're based up near Cobden and yeah so like, not this double isn't southern crop ontario territory. yeah this yeah. is not double crop territory yeah no no that's for so sure so i think that is important to point out that you are in an area where you know trying to grow a decent cover crop after soybeans would be you know really difficult potentially D yeah it's only in the past five ten years where guys have really started taking soybean or winter wheat after soybeans with any yeah. serious notion right like that that used to yeah. be canola territory yeah. yeah all right last photo yeah before we yeah this to... one's fun <laughs> yeah so this was a, a cereal rye field and uh um so this is a forage oat and peas there's there's peas that are full pod there's soybeans in here it's a forage type soybean that are two feet tall um sorghum that's 
four and five feet tall. And uh, this is really, really rocking it. Um, so we would typically drill in cover crop seed after a winter cereal harvest, right? So this went on again, four weeks ahead of mm. the cereal harvest. And, and had that been a grain oat, there's potential that, that if it was a grain oat, it, it'd be making Might maturity. Yeah. <laughs> so um, <laughs> depending, like if we keep getting this October weather, uh, uh, yeah. a short, season grain oat would probably have made it to grain which is just wild to think about um but yeah this this is the difference of what a three-week overlap can do on on these cover crops there's crimson clover that that we've never been able to get to really do well after wheat there's crimson clover in here that's two feet tall as well too so it's it's really pumping it and doing it well this was about i think it was 65 pounds an acre of of total seed um it's only about 15 pounds an acre of of oats um uh and uh yeah it's it's thick stuff we're trying to figure out how to get some animals onto this before uh before it gets mm-hmm. too over mature but uh yeah that's the uh that's a probably that's one of the whole... highlights of this year yeah, I was going to say, but that's the whole, that's a whole other show, which we are going to do is when you've got a crop like this, what do you do with it? Um, and what your options are? Uh, but we're rapidly running out of time, but let's, that is, that is definitely a question, um, as to what you do with it. And that's where potentially, as you mentioned, Ruben, animals come back in to the, to the picture. Yeah. And yeah. And this had, the whole straw was all the straw was chopped onto this field too. And this we've struggled a lot with getting seed into, into acres that have had all the straw chopped back on it too, because it's just hard to drill through all that fresh straw. So um, it's the drones just opening up a lot of opportunity for that. Yeah. All right. We're going to just quickly, we're going to go to a clip that that this is from just this past January at uh, Manitoba Ag Days, where uh, my colleague Calvin Hepner um, caught up to talk about where we're at with potentially um, herbicides, pesticides, uh, these sorts of things being applied by drone. Um, And I want to sort of wrap it up with, with sort of looking to what else we might be able to do with drones in the future. Agriculture. I'm Kelvin Hepner at Manitoba Ag Days and pleased to be joined now by Don Campbell of Roga Drone. And Don, uh, obviously a drone hanging behind us here. Can you fill us in on uh, on what this drone is designed for and, and the application that you see for it? So uh, this drone is designed specifically for uh, broadacre applications, aerial applications of uh, pesticides. Um, it's a little bit different than uh, some of the rotary drones that you see out there spraying now. It's a hybrid drone that has vertical takeoff and land. Uh, the way it operates in flight is when the drone's in the air, it, the back rotors will rotate 90 degrees and that'll give it the thrust. And then it flies basically like a manned aircraft with the wings carrying 70-80% of the load. Okay, so that would give it a different uh, drift pattern or dispersion pattern than than other designs of drones? Yeah, quite a bit different than the rotary drones. You don't get as much uh, downwash. Uh, It's designed so to eliminate some of the vortices that you see on some planes. those vortices uh, have an effect probably 15 to 20 feet off the ground. 
after that, you lose that downdraft off the wings. Where are we at? I guess the big question, where are we at in terms of being able to use a drone like this in Canada right now? In Canada, it's still the million-dollar question. Uh, we've worked with uh, PMRA probably over the last four or five years. Um, they're starting to see that this isn't going to go away. They've uh, actually designated some people in PMRA to have a look at this issue. Last October, we had two approvals from PMRA on mosquito larvicides. I know there's a lot of uh, research authorizations out there that are being looked at now. So hopefully, you know, you can't give a timeline, but hopefully this year we're going to see some more approvals for pesticides. Is the onus on the registration, the companies that have registered the products, to apply for the, the change to the label to have allow for drone application or UAV application, or or is it on PMRA to actually follow through on, on allowing this? Where Where is it being held up right now? So the registrants or the chemical companies are the ones that would have to uh, apply to get it approved on their labels. Um, and that's kind of the process that's being gone through right now. Once they submit the data that PMRA recognizes, they grant the approval on the label for drones. How would this... Oh, I should also note, I guess, uh, this is only for products that are regulated by PMRA. So biologicals, some fertilizer products, those could already be applied with a, with a drone at this time? Yeah, that's correct. We, we are limited right now to biologicals, fertilizers, biostimulants. To our sponsors tonight, Adma Canada, Enlist E3 from Corteva, and the Machinery Update. Don't miss out on any of the content we publish featuring equipment announcements and coverage from machinery shows. The Machinery Update is the newsletter for anyone interested in the latest technical advancements. Visit realagriculture.com slash subscribe to sign up. Okay, so... As we mentioned, uh, that was from January. We're now October. Felix, I'll start with you. Has anything changed? Do we just have the larvicides right now? That's correct, yes. We only have them, but I can also tell you that there's a... That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that I can also tell you that there's a lot of work done in the background. Uh, and uh, I don't expect that before next fall or 2025 to, to come in effect. But also remember, when you buy a drone, you don't want to start with uh, with herbicides or, or so on first anyway. Get get experience with it. It's not that much work, but it's like, you know, you're, you're going from a tractor to a truck, like from a total different vehicle. Uh, and, and, and everybody has to make that experience a little bit themselves. When you follow your first sprayer, you you had to get to know how to spray and work with this equipment. And it's going to be the same with when you use a drone. The drone isn't isn't for everybody. Like some people may say, "Hey, I just hire somebody to do it," or other people say, "No, I want to have my own because of timing, and I can do this," and and so on. So. But mm-hmm. but from a chemicals perspective, it will take its time. I know there is different approaches being done on it. Uh, how how the registration should happen, with the hope that it doesn't each chemical doesn't have to be uh, registered on its own. That there there is a trial that way. So we'll probably know a little bit more this winter what comes out of those trials. Okay. 
So, because we certainly have some labels that are some fungicides, I'm thinking of fungicides that can be applied um, by air, but of course that's not by drone. So it is technically different. Um, And so, but as Kelvin said, and I think it's important, and we've had a couple questions in the comments about, you know, whose role is it to have these approved? And realistically, a lot of it goes to the registrant. So the, the company that actually owns the the active that would have to submit the data to ask for this. So that is going to be one of the things. But we also, of course, have to have the regulatory framework to approve these things um, if if we want to go that way. So it was really interesting to see just how different that drone looks to to Ruben, like the one that you have. Um, so really a, a stark difference there in um, and I think in my mind, I sort of think like, oh, one drone's going to do it all. But realistically, that's not necessarily the case. Um, and I think we know that Jay, uh, Ray and Jason are probably plane fanatics as they're trying to see what plane that drone looks like. So there you go. Um, so there's that. So Janet asks, is DJI the only drone capable to do these aerial applications or are there Canadian companies? So the DJ, DJI, is that correct, Ruben? Are we saying that right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, well, it's yeah, probably good. It's the biggest one on the market right now, but there's okay. no Canadian manufacturer of a, of a piece of equipment that I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, Felix, there, you are more familiar with working some of the other models, um, but there's no, there's no Canadian company building. There, there's no, there, and you know, even, even companies that uh, make other drones, like from, from, uh, when you look at the, a lot of the, the the parts are from China anyway, right? Or from mm-hmm. from countries yeah. like that. But uh, but no, there is definitely other drones. As I mentioned at the beginning, you know, the Rexis G that we carry is the largest one in Europe and, and Asia. It, it really depends what you need. There's four or five right. that I could tell you different manufacturers that are sold in Canada. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, obviously, tonight, I mean, we've focused more on the seed and fertilizer application. Um, as as mentioned in that clip, and Felix, you've mentioned that as well. I mean, we can use these for fertilizer for biologicals, um, which, you know, is maybe good practice if uh, if you're looking to one day use them for herbicides or pesticides um, or, you know, those fungicides, whatever that might be, um, good practice. Um, but I... I, there is another question here that sort of comes back to the identification part. And I think this is a really good one as well. Um, and Ruben, I don't know if you have any experience with this, but, um, where are you at with drone technology to do plant counts and say weed ID to help with scouting? So Felix, maybe I'll go to you with that one thing as you work with some of these and on different platforms. Um, I know that we have some sprayers that are doing some remarkable things about, you know, green on green spraying and those sorts of things. Are, do we have some advancements on drones to do some things like that as well? There's two companies that I'm that I'm working with right now that are working on that, trying to to do it from from the drone, uh, but it's a lot of machine learning. Uh, I mean, even yep. from from you know recognizing that that weed that looks this year a certain way is actually not being necessarily recognized the next year. So it needs not just different angles being taken from; right. it also needs different years. But, but it's certainly something that they're working on. Mm-hmm. I know that and we have... Uh, we plan, can, I'm sorry, I quickly... Can I yep. maybe want to add on to that? Depending how... With the, the size of, if you said, uh, plan count, 
plant count is possible, but it really depends on the size of the plant. Not like if you want to do a plant count on wheat, that's not going to work. But right. if you want to do a plant count on soybeans and corn, there is the technology out there that that's starting to get quite accurate with that. Mm -hmm. I know that we've we've certainly done on Relay, we've done some videos looking at counting tassels. So can can you use aerial imagery that counts tassels and, and that correlates to, of course, uh, corn counts? That one seems to work. Um, I also know that, you know, there's certainly even on the university side, as you mentioned, Felix, the machine learning part, um, so much of, you know, what we consider instant is actually hours upon hours of work of teaching these machines what that picture actually is, right? So we want it to just see it and know what it is. But when you're doing that rolling over a field, it's actually far more complicated than that. That's right. But I mean, it's yeah. the same with the computer. We use today the computer, you know, it's like there is, that has had to develop as well, right? It's the same thing with mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Now, Ruben, looking at, you know, just just your first season under your belt, really, and, and some of these things are still, we're still early October, and based on the forecast, I mean, we could be having the same conversation a month from now. Um, so just a world of opportunity, though, uh, opening up. What are you most excited about uh, after this first season to try next year? Well, some of these integrations, right? So there's there is a mindset change that's starting to happen with, okay, well, how do we use these tools now? Because it opens up uh, a different operating method potentially altogether. And uh, hopefully we'll be doing more on the fertility side of things, more fertility work, um, looking at uh, timely, more season long foliar type applications. What can we do with, with plots next year around um, growing a better crop more or less exclusively with the drone uh, to feed the crop. Um, I, there's a lot of neat stuff happening. If, if you can tie that, that really responsive, uh, timely application back with, with the, uh, the data management of what's going on in the field, um, nutritionally and biologically, I, I think it opens up a lot of opportunities. So if we can integrate those two together, um, that should make for some neat responses in, in crop next mm -hmm. year. So that's a lot more complicated than throwing uh, some cover crop seed out. Um, but I think that's where we'll see, you know, some of the big, the big uh, use cases coming with the, with the crop. DJI markets a lot of what they're doing on rice patties in Asia with them. Um, what if we can apply that here to, to corn or to wheat or or, or beans? Um, that'll be uh, that'll you know we got we've got to put the North American context on it, but uh, yeah. to to integrate the imaging systems and the crop health and then with the applications, that's that's going to be neat to work with. And Ruben, to solve some of your problems, everyone should get more sheep and cows. So just yeah. throwing that out there. Yeah, just that's how we feel about things. Um, Felix, what, in looking at, you know, from your perspective, you get to look at, you know, different technologies, different companies working with imaging, working with application as well. Uh, what do you think is sort of the, the next most exciting thing in this space? I think a lot of a lot of farmers would say 
as soon as we get the, the registration for all our sites, that's the next thing. But, uh, but I think, you know, had we, had we thought 10 years ago, we would be applying, you know, cover, cover crops with a drone? No. And I think it's kind of hard to say, Hey, what, what's the next thing in five years? I think their industry is going very fast. Uh, agriculture industry has been very adaptable to, to technology and, and I'm actually looking forward what's com coming next myself. But, but the spray drone certainly has a, a good, or application drone has a, certainly a good future and a very good place in this market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One last question, Ruben, and it's one that, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe Ray asked it earlier, but the, the drone you're running, quite sizable, as you said. Um, it, do you envision where, like there is sort of a tipping point of like how much bigger does it get before it's basically just a helicopter? Like where is the, you know, like do you, does it uh, need to get much bigger or, or where you're at, do you think it's useful sort of the size it's at? I honestly don't think it needs to get much bigger. I think they need to figure out how to make them work in tandem together mm -hmm. yeah. and, uh, and swarm them with two or three. If you had, Two, three of these things would probably keep up with a 120 foot boom. Like it, it's, well, yeah. and your, your total capital invested would be half or less of, of that ground based rig. Right. Um, so when they integrate, uh, to make them work together as a swarm and, and then we get some regulatory adoption that, that allows us to maybe work with a few less person hours. At the same time, the technology's got to be ready for that, but um, that'll that'll make it really, really competitive. Yeah, I guess that's and, my question: like, How many people are on the ground when you're running one of these right now? I know it's your first year. Uh, I'm not usually two. You this. Yeah, two. You, okay. Yeah, pilot and, and loader observer. So, um, okay. yeah, usually it's two, but they're not working terribly hard. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it, it's a it, like. Compared to bouncing around in, in the field, it's it's much more relaxed for sure. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Uh, and like do, capital dollars, capital invested for the capability of the machine, I've been really really yeah. impressed with with what it's pulling off. So, but, but remember, but remember yeah, the, two, the two people like that's why I think Ruben, you're saying you can fly two three. You don't need six people. You're you're still working with the two people. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Just being yeah. much yeah. more efficient afterwards, and yeah. that's yeah. what regulatory <laughs> regulatory wise that'll be interesting. But yeah. 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 That's also, what I'm, quite a few people uh, companies do that yeah. that do application. They have the pilot that flies the unit, and then and then you got you know a, a ground person reloading it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, to that point, you could add a second or a third and basically run the similar number of people. So you'd be that much more efficient. Um, I'm going to throw out there because I'm a words person. Swarm, I don't like the term. And I think when things are flying, maybe let's, let's call formation. Like when they're like flying. How about we call formation. it a flock? I'd uh, yeah, that's a great <laughs> word, Ruben. Um, anyway, I'm just going to throw that out there, but it, it is, it does get the gears turning. And as Ray says, great way to think about it, sort of think about it in, um, in those terms. Um, and Jason points out you still need enough acres, uh, or dollars per acre to justify, to justify those people. Absolutely. So, I mean, 
not unlike when you're going to run a custom sprayer operation, you still have to crunch those numbers. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and Janet points out uh, certainly changing models, uh, seeming to want to keep it under 25 kgs for easier licensing. That is definitely something I think. I mean, we've seen that in in a lot of things because of how the rules are. You'll often see you know certain models that stay within a certain range, but realistically, if we're going to the application route, you're going with the big dogs. Yeah, but look, so. look at the rules that they're trying to do up to 150 yeah. kilos, but Transfer okay. Canada is working on. So I think they're trying I to work on that. Okay. That's what they're working on beyond line of sight and, and up to 150 kilos. So I think that's going to change. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Ruben, you agree? You figure that might be the next bar? Yeah, that, that they are, they have proposed to move it to 150 kilos. So it, it, it'll become more what they'll require for man hours. Right now, they seem to be right. really restrictive on thou shalt have a visual observer, somebody that's just watching right. airspace and like, right. that's not really doing a heck of a lot because we are in a really low risk environment flying 20 feet off yeah. the ground. If we're going to end up in a aircraft collision scenario with somebody that's 20 feet off the ground, the things have gone sideways somewhere else. Right. It's probably yeah. not the drone that's the problem in that scenario. Um, probably not. Uh, yeah, good chance that it's not. Um, okay, Jason, this is a good question here. Um, Ruben, you've only got a year under your belt, but Felix, you did mention that you, you do service for these. What are the main things that you would fix or maintain on a drone? Is it is it rotors? Is it cameras? Is it batteries? What are you mostly fixing? Propellers. <laughs> yeah. It's the propellers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it you know what it it does depend on their operator and 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 so on. But it's it's probably like we have clients we haven't hurt since we sold it to, and then you hear right. others right on a regular basis. So that's why I'm saying get prepared. Don't actually depend on your on your avoidance uh, system on the drone itself. Plan it out properly, and mm -hmm. and you you know you're gonna be flying much. You know, basically, you don't have the downtime. If if you prepare yeah. properly at the beginning, you you can reduce your down, downtime. I feel like you're being very diplomatic and saying people crash them. Um, so there's not always they're operating. You have to remember <laughs> that, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, Jason, follow up question to that: um, When it comes to can you replace them? Like, can you have spare ones that you put a new? propeller piece or an entire propeller back on or is it they're not that for like swap out you swap them yeah i'm, yeah, I'm thinking they're, they're, like nozzles right if you have a bad nozzle you change the nozzle out and away you go yeah they're they're a fair bit more pricey than nozzles unfortunately I would but, uh, yeah 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 but yeah. um <clears throat> on the upside the nozzles seem to have that fixed on the drone and I wouldn't be surprised okay. if you see some actual ground sprayers start using drone nozzles because oh. uh, the new nozzles that they have on are, are uh, really cool yeah yeah let's see what they get with some more experience on them but okay. um, batteries do have a lifetime um, they they are okay. getting run pretty hard but uh, they have they have a built-in counter clock on them that they'll get timed out eventually okay. and they're not cheap batteries they're about three thousand dollars a piece so um you're about a buck a flight for propellers and a buck a flight for uh for batteries so, so there okay. i would recommend you to get enough batteries at the beginning so you're not running them hot, hot. 
right? So the more cooling yeah. time you have in between, yeah. the longer they last. And that's what we have found. Yeah. Quite yeah. I feel yeah, like, but we, all like even in the 30 degree heat there, that doesn't seem to overheat them. Like uh, okay. we've we worked it pretty hard some days and it, it hasn't really spiked anything. Um, uh, yeah, been quite impressed with, with <laughs> its capability there. So the biggest problem was getting a generator that was capable of charging them in the, in uh, the first place. Yeah. It's a fairly big gen set to, uh, to keep it flying, yeah. but uh, yeah. Okay. About a quarter quarter liter an acre of gasoline is about is the equivalent. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, Jim Hale from Lancer, Saskatchewan says change prop blades in pairs, rotor imbalance will cause crashes. Is this true? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do not know from experience, but yeah. But yeah, no, yeah that's, that's in the manual. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. can't. You can't, uh, you can't fix those plates that you have to replace them. Replace them. Okay. I feel like what I have learned from this last bit of the conversation is I shall never own one of these, um, because maintenance sounds really important and that's just not how I roll. So I will just be hiring someone to do it for me. And see, Felix, that's to your point. Does everyone need to own one? Not necessarily. Maybe you just need to have someone own it for you. And yeah. like look, look, at the capabilities. look at the capabilities that, that those drones yeah. are going to be able to do. You know, you can drive into a you can you can apply a field at the right time, even though the field is too wet to drive into. You weren't able right. to do that. It, you know, you look at the, the height of the corn these days, you know, mm -hmm. apply we have a lot of guys that, that have applied the uh, um, seed seeded the corn down with the in with the drones, they wouldn't have been driving through with any other equipment. So their opportunity yeah. that it opens up that you that you can use them for is amazing. Yeah, and manned aircraft have gotten so expensive to operate too that, that yeah. our our access to manned aircraft services. We used to have a guy in eastern Ontario that does it. There, I, there's little to no actual manned aircraft services, and and this is going to open it up a lot. Um, for, for yeah. getting that type of capability back into into agriculture again at a reasonable mm -hmm. price. Mm -hmm. yeah. A quarter, a liter, an acre. Mind-blowing. And yes, Ray Banco, I am low maintenance, just so you know. All right. Okay, we are out of time. And actually, we're about to get, like, Producer Jay is going to give me the old shepherd's crook across and off i go um so this has been absolutely fantastic thank you felix thank you ruben for joining me thank you everyone in the comments fantastic questions really a lot to think about uh so many things uh really exciting to see some of this going down and uh yeah it, this has been absolutely fantastic so thank you felix thank you ruben thank you very much all right and of course thank you to our show sponsors to canada to the real egg machinery update and to enlist e3 soybeans uh thank you so much it is thanksgiving next monday everybody so uh i hope you've got your turkey ordered and your whole meal planned and p.s i love leftovers send them over so there is no show next week uh but the week after that i'm actually going to be coming to you live from saskatoon on the 16th so uh Tune in for sure. It'll be 8 p.m. Eastern. No one knows what time that is in Saskatchewan. That'll be fine. I'll see you right here. All right. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Cheers, everybody.